reading today is from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 22, and it's from the message. Then God told me, get a big sheet of paper and write in indelible ink, this belongs to Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, spoil, speeds, plunder, hurries. I got two honest men, Uriah the priest and Zechariah son of Jeberachiah, to witness the document. Then I went home to my wife, the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. God told me, name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Before that baby says daddy or mama, the king of Assyria will have plundered the wealth of Damascus and the riches of Samaria. God spoke to me again saying, because this people has turned its back on the gently flowing stream of Shiloh and gotten all excited over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, I'm stepping in and facing them with the wild floodwaters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria and all his fanfare, a river in flood bursting its banks, pouring into Judah, sweeping everything before it, water up to your necks, a huge wingspan of a raging river, O Emmanuel, spreading across your land. But face the facts, all you oppressors, and then wring your hands. Listen, all of you, far and near. Prepare for the worst and wring your hands. Yes, prepare for the worst and wring your hands. Plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words. Because when all is said and done, the last word is Emmanuel, God with us. God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands, and warned me not to go along with this people. He said, don't be like this people, always afraid somebody is plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. If you're, if you're going to worry, worry about the holy. Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can be either a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. The rock standing in the willful way of both houses of Israel are barbed by a fence preventing trespass to the citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken, get tangled up in that bad wire and not get free. Gather up the testimony, preserve the teaching for my followers while I wait for God as long as he remains in hiding, while I wait and hope for him. I stand my ground and hope. I and the children God gave me as signs to Israel, warning signs and hope signs from God of the angel armies who makes his home in Mount Zion. When people tell you, try out the fortune tellers, consult the spiritualists, why not tap into the spirit world, get in touch with the dead, tell them, no, we're going to study the scriptures. People who try the other ways get nowhere, a dead end. Frustrated and famished, they try one thing after another. When nothing works out, they get angry, cursing first this God and then that one, looking this way and that, up, down and sideways, and seeing nothing. A blank wall, an empty hole, they end up in the dark with nothing. And God will um, bless his word to us. Uh, it's funny how certain things trigger memories for you. And um, when I looked at the subject, I, my mind turned, and coming to Fernie Hill, my mind turned to probably at least 50 years ago, where I, the first sermon I ever remember on worry was preached by someone who's here today. I wonder if you can guess who that rules out certain people, doesn't it? Because it was over, <laughs> over 50 years ago. But I wonder if you can tell me 
guess who that person was? Sorry? No, it wasn't John Hannah, although he's preached many excellent sermons. Your father, that's right. It was you, Tom. You spoke on worry at the wee gospel hall in Musselboro. It must have been at least 50 years ago. I don't remember all the details and all the points, but I, but I, I do remember you spoke on worry. And the thing that struck me was just how relevant Scripture was, because people can teach the Bible, but they don't always make application of it. But uh, that sermon certainly did. And um, do you rem- I don't know if you remember giving that, that talk, Tom, maybe not. No, but it was, it was very good. Must be something that I remember you spoke on it uh, that long ago. Of course, memories are strange. Maybe I've just made that up. <laughs> no, 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 it hasn't. Great. Well, uh, we're going to look at um, this uh, this subject of uh, worrying and when things go wrong. And um, usually, uh, we we turn to um, the words of. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong. Yeah, another part that comes onto this. Uh, there, is there anything at the bottom there? I can't see it. Oh, yeah, there is. Uh, usually we turn to, uh, to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where he tells us not to worry, uh, because our Heavenly Father knows our needs before we ask him, and that we should allow uh, not the worries of tomorrow, as Dave was saying, to consume us for today. But uh, as a former friend and boss of mine used to say, we'll do a bit of off-piste Bible study and uh, look into Isaiah chapter chapter 8 for a wee bit because uh, it seems to me there are some clear things there uh, to teach us about worrying and when things go wrong and challenges that come with that. There's, there's no shortage of things to worry about, are there? Really, in our world? I mean, let's have a bit of audience participation. What, what are the kind of things that... Uh, I'm not asking you for, to, you know, bring your dirty washing into public. or, or to, You can if you want, but uh, we'll have a prayer session at the back for anybody who wants to share that. But what are the kind of worries that are around for us? Ukraine. Ukraine. The cost of living crisis. Uh, the food bank I help at is busier than it has ever been. Cost of living Ukraine is a huge concern for us, isn't it? And, you know, will there be... Well, we were assured yesterday uh, by the Russian ambassador that they will not use nuclear weapons. So we all believe that. We've got a basis for trusting them in that. These are major concerns. Anything else? Sorry? Health. Exactly. Uh, Now, monkeypox which we shouldn't be worried about, they say, but, but certainly there's huge health. And, and who, who of us doesn't know someone that's been impacted in their mental health by the last couple of years? Most of us have experienced something like that. Sorry, somebody said something else. Work. Whether there will be work for folks or uh, just how, how things are, yeah, are going to work out in, the, in these as we recover from, um, from covid yeah, I think I've, um, I've tried to, here's one I prepared earlier, um, that, uh, that doesn't seem to be 
Now, here we go. Um, here's some of the ones you've, you've mentioned. Um, Ukraine, cost of living crisis, energy bills, which we didn't mention. You, you need to get a mortgage out to fill your car up with petrol. Um, uh, and the pandemic and, and illness. There's so many things that are around that cause us and rightly cause us uh, concern. We're worried for our children. We're worried for our grandchildren, just the kind of atmosphere in which they're being being brought up and how they're going to cope with that. We're worried for aged parents. Uh, we, um, we have so many areas in which there's, there's concern. We're growing older, all of us, and uh, that has accompanying limitations. We're worried about potential loneliness of that. Uh, we're worried about broken relationships. As we look back on our lives, we're worried sometimes and stressed about the failures of our lives. All of these things kind of mount up. They accumulate for the sense of, of worry there. And I suppose in the midst of that, it, it, just because of the political scene we're in, we, we, we talk, ask ourselves who we can trust in the midst of all that. And even can we trust God is the question in the midst of all that. Who, who do we turn to uh, in the midst? If you're not worried, if you're thinking, well, what's all this concern for? I'm, I'm not particularly worried. It may be because you haven't really understood what's going on. <laughs> that you haven't realized how bad things are or the precariousness uh, of life. We took, um, we took our daughter Karen for her 30th birthday uh, to, um, to Disneyland Paris. And um, she, uh, she has, as I've said before, many of you know, she has learning difficulties. That did not inhibit her one bit of her enjoyment in the hairiest rides in the whole place. I was absolutely terrified of these kind of ups and downs and going through the dark and, and all this kind of stuff, the twists and turns. And she was just in fits of laughter because she had no idea of the danger that she was in. No idea of the threat that was there that I certainly felt. And um, my wife wouldn't go near any of them, so it was up to me. Sometimes we, we just need to realize how precarious things are. And uh, we need to acknowledge that there are things that are deeply concerning. Now, let's be careful here. I, I certainly don't want to add to your stress <laughs> and anxiety by adding guilt to your already worries because uh, that's the last thing we want to do in, in coming to Scripture. But Let's acknowledge these deep concerns that cause us to be unsettled. And I just want to spend a few moments talking about some of the, the dangers in worrying, the dangers in anxiety, when it begins to skew our thinking. What is the problem with worry? I think one of the things is that it makes us inward-looking. Our worries turn our attention onto our needs, how we feel, and that can divert us from or hinder us in action in, in understanding how others feel. We get so caught up in our own anxieties that we miss the needs of others. Or, or anxiety can become self-pitying. 
Sorry, I'm just going to move this on a, a bit. Where do I point this? Sorry? This direction. It can also become self-pitying, can't it? Everything's against me. Nobody else understands. They just don't care. And then again, that just turns us in upon ourselves. I was speaking to a friend on, on Friday evening who's so concerned about what ha- might happen next week and whether someone who uh, is a, another friend of his will, will contact him or not. They've been unwell, and will they contact me? Will they get in touch with me? And, and it's so self-pitying that he was in danger of not enjoying the Saturday that he was going to spend with his friends. We all, we all realize that, don't we? Poor old me. I, I was really struck. But, um, I had a birthday back a couple of months ago, and I was really struck by getting greetings from two friends in Ukraine. And I thought, that is just great, isn't it? People who could have been so caught up in their own needs, so inward-looking and self-pitying, because they were under enormous threat, and yet they have time, because they believe in a God who cares for them, that they have time to think about others. So that's a problem with worry. Or it, it breeds kind of a self-righteousness, I think. It can do anyway, where we, we think, I'm the only worried, one who's worried about this. I care. Why does no one else care? And sometimes it leaves us simply as angry people, disgruntled people, just as a total aside. What do you call a pig with laryngitis? Disgruntled. There we go. Anyway, it can make us just angry with the world and even angry with God. We take our eyes off God and even begin to question him. So the question that arises for us is, what do we do with these worries? What will we do when things don't go as we expect and they seem to be out of control and most of us like things to be controllable? What happens when, in the words of Robert Burns, our best laid plans go after glee or go awry, if you speak English? And the next line, which says, and leave us not but grief and pain for promised joy. Life seems to promise so much joy, but it gets replaced by grief and pain. There are serious problems. It was where the the people of Judah were. Now, just a quick history lesson. The people of Judah in in Isaiah 8 and from 7 and into 8 have found themselves in a decidedly stressful situation. Things have gone decidedly wrong. The quick history lesson is that this section is about four different nations. It's about Israel, and it's about Syria, and it's about Judah, and it's about Assyria. So think of this. You've got Israel, and you've got 
Syria joined together as a coalition. You've got uh, Judah, who are a small nation to the, the south of these, and you've got the great power Assyria. Let me just explain that a wee bit more here. The, the people of Israel divided into two nations, so already these people have seen their nation divided. There's been an independence referendum. Oh, there hasn't. But anyway, they divided into the north country, and it retained the name Israel with its capital at Samaria. That's the blue one. And then there was the kingdom of Judah with its capital at Jerusalem in the south. So already their nation had been divided. Families broken by division. And then they were surrounded by other strong nations. Oops, let's just come back a minute. So you had Egypt to the the south and east. You had the Assyrians over to the, sorry, south and west. The Assyrians over to the east. And then later the Babylonians, huge, aggressive, even vicious nations, armed to the teeth. And here's the tiny Judah. And it had internal difficulties as well, because if you read back in Isaiah chapter 3, you will learn that their leadership was, was, was weak, and it was no one would take leadership on in the nation. People were saying, won't you lead us? Please, will you lead us? So there was a leadership crisis in the country. It was what we would now call existential danger or existential threat. You've heard that word used or that phrase used recently. And basically it means our very existence is threatened. That's how the people of Judah felt. Because what had happened was that uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, that coalition, were going to be attacked by Assyria. And they wanted Israel on board with them. But the Lord has said, stand firm. Do not join with them. Rely on me. Of course, Israel and Syria, when they discovered that that Judah would not join with them, wanted to attack Judah and replace their king with a king that suited them. It's all kind of quite reminiscent of what's going on in our world today, isn't it? That's how they felt. They were people under pressure. And the Lord was telling them, rely on me. Don't join with these other nations. Don't be afraid of the Assyrians. But put your trust in me. Things do go wrong, don't they? We're we're not going to pretend that, because this is the people of God we're talking about, we're not going to pretend that any of us will be untouched by the things that scare us or threaten us or bring us to our knees. And this is where this picture comes in. Oops. We're not kind of surfers for Jesus, you know. We're not kind of riding the wave and enjoying the thrill of everything in life. It's just not realistic, is it? We do suffer pain. We do suffer hurt. Life hurts. And there's no vaccine to prevent that. And Jesus is certainly not offering a pain-free, stress-free existence. I've not come to kind of give you five easy points to do away with worry. 
Or when things go wrong, here are three things you must do and it will be fine. Let, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be truthful. There will be times when things seem out of control. And that's how it felt for the people of Judah. Being threatened by Israel and Syria. Their king to be deposed. A lack of leadership in the country. Who was controlling their destiny? It was a cause for panic. What does God say to them? He says this. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. So what God is saying to them is, you have these fears, they're real fears. There are real threats here. But are you going to fear that, or are you going to fear me? Are you going to replace your terror of, the, of, the, of Israel and Syria and the Assyrians with a greater fear, a greater concern that you please me? Are you going to put your life in the hands of the political leaders, the armies of these nations around you? Or are you going to put your, yourself in the hands of Almighty God? So the Lord reminds them, the words of the psalm that are taken up in the hymn through all the changing scenes of life. It's a brilliant line which says, Fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Replace the fear with a sense of the fear of God. Now, that doesn't mean terror of God. It means that deep reverential respect that actually he is the one who ultimately holds everything in his hands. Why should we trust God? Well, there are at least three things in this passage that, that would point us in the direction of why the kingdom of Judah, for all its threats, should, should, have, should trust God. The first is that he's the Lord Almighty. Verse 13. Do not call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. There's a phrase that occurs right through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's favorite title for God is the Holy One of Israel. You check it out. It's there constantly in the book, the Holy One of Israel. Because he's different from all the other gods. That's what holy means. He's distinct from all the other gods who are minor gods who cover a small nation or who cover a small tribe or just an idol. And Isaiah in his book will mock the idols. They're just wood. What can they do? They're just stone. What can they do? But we're talking here about the Lord Almighty. The God who says in verse 10, to all the nations, the Egypts, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, he says to all of them, devise your strategy, you know, work it out, put your strategy in place. It'll be thwarted, verse 10. Propose your plan. You may have great schemes, you nations, but it won't stand. 
but God is with us. Who is in control? Are we just down to unpredictable forces? Is it all just fate that this is happening to us? You know, the cost of living crisis, everything that's going on around us. Do we just put it down to our, our bad luck? Impersonal forces that just kind of toss us around. God says, I'm, I'm in control. Oh, the timing not, may not be to our liking. <laughs> we may not wish to wait for God, which is what Isaiah says here. I wait for the Lord. I will put my trust in him. Sometimes we just have to wait. But the other thing that Isaiah talks about is the day of the Lord. That day that we look forward to when justice will finally be done. But it's difficult to wait, isn't it? I, I don't know if you've uh, watched any of the uh, Paul uh, Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer programs called Gone Fishing. It, it's, I'm not really into fishing, but it's a fascinating program as they interact together. It's one of these lovely programs. Quite a gentle kind of program. And Paul Whitehouse is the expert fisherman. And uh, Bob Mortimer comes along and cooks the food and tries to learn to fish. And constantly throughout the series, uh, Bob Mortimer will be fishing. And uh, he thinks he's got a catch, so he begins to reel it in. And, and Paul Whitehouse is saying to him, stop, 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 don't reel it in. And as soon as Paul Whitehouse is not looking, he's reeling it in. And he's saying, stop that, you're going to lose it if you reel it, reel it in. And sometimes you've just got to, to wait, haven't you? You listen to the expert, and then you wait. It's not easy, is it, Waiting. I used to pick up my daughter from a, a class uh, that she went to, and there was another dad there who every week, you know, we'd be waiting for maybe five or ten minutes, and he would be, you know, what was, <laughs> kind of wearing out his shoe leather. It's a tough thing to wait, but sometimes the expert tells you just to wait until the right time. The Almighty God knows the future and we can trust him because what, what other empire has continued to exist who knows of the, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire the Roman Empire the wonders of Greece where are they now they're historical things we read about in books and we go to visit them as tourists but they're not functioning are they because there will be a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the book of Hebrews tells us. But the great thing about our God is that he's the almighty God, but he's also God with us. That's what uh, verse 10 of Isaiah uh, 8 will, will tell us. Devise your strategy, but will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Emmanuel. See, the thing about human power is that it's abused so readily, isn't it? We don't need to look far for examples. But just to take one example of um, 
I don't know if you know this man, but his name is Mobutu. And he was the, the leader of uh, Congo, Zaire. And how did he use the power that he, he gained as he became the ruler of, of uh, Zaire? He built an international airport in his home village where you could land Concord. And it's said that he would look at the, he would receive the French newspapers in the morning, and there was, if there was a film that he saw that he'd like to watch in Paris, he would simply get on a jet and fly to Paris to see the film. He had a, a, a palace built, again in his hometown, it's a route now, that had uh, fountains, running water, every modcon you could desire, where he's surrounded by people who had no, no electricity, no running water in the villages around him. That's what human power does. It corrupts, doesn't it? But our God not only has almighty power, but he's God with us. He's displayed in Jesus that he's a friend to us. He's displayed that he's the God who rules this universe, but at the same time comes to us and says, I know, I understand. I want to hear you. I will listen. You can pray about everything. Uh, I remember a, a friend of mine, uh, maybe I told you about him before, he, he was professor of uh, pharmacy at Robert Gordon's uh, University in Aberdeen. And Mike Richards was a, an incredible man of prayer and uh, also evangelism. He, he led many of his PhD students to Christ, had Bible studies for them, and they came to Christ. And uh, his department that he was in charge of, um, pharmacy department at Robert Gordon's, was being reviewed by an external body. And um, the, the, the panel, the external panel, were meeting with Mike. And uh, one of the guys who was uh, involved in the panel knew Mike from the past. He, this guy wasn't a Christian, but he said to Mike, when they were discussing the finances of the department, he said... Um, you and your wife will pray about these finances, don't you, Mike? And he said, yes, that's right, we do. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Everything. There's not just kind of certain areas that God's going to be interested in. Because he's God with us. God alongside us. God in us by his Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, it's your father you're coming to who knows your needs, but wants you to ask to build that relationship, to form that intimacy with him. And then he's the, the Lord Almighty. He's God with us, but he also guides us. Chap verses 19 and 20 that we finished with are, are, are really, really interesting, aren't they? When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their gods. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. and They will be thrust into utter darkness. 
God says, I've, I've given you instruction. I, I've given you the truth. For us, he's given us the scriptures. It, it's um, Eugene Peterson who wrote or translated the message, who says in one of his books, we do not know enough to run our own lives. Some of us think we do, don't we? We do not know enough to run our own lives. We need the wisdom of God. We need the law and the testimony. We need the word of God so that we're not just wandering in darkness as these people are. So who do we listen to? The voices in our head, the media, or the master? Like me, you will know people for whom just everything seems to have gone wrong. And yet you meet these people and they have peace in their hearts because their perception of life has been molded by the truth of God's word. I think of one, one person, and you, some of you know him, a guy who lost his job, his wife left him, his child was seriously ill, he had little or no income. Of course he was sad, of course he was distressed at times, but he trusted God in the midst of it. And prayer, this friend of mine I was telling you about who is worried about next week, he will say to me on a regular basis, will prayer help? And I say to him, yeah, it will help, but it doesn't mean that it will immediately be answered. He's got a friend who has severe depression. He says, will prayer help? Thinking that, you know, they might be just immediately released from that. But it's more, isn't it, that we're, we're praying because we want to know God's strength in that situation. We want to know God's perspective so that we can have peace in the midst of chaos. And that's what this person discovered. And what's, what's the alternative anyway to, to knowing God in the midst of us? It means that we are believing that everything that happens to us is just meaningless. It's so pointless no purpose to it unless God is at work. Let, let me just say a couple of things before we, we finish. There, there is actually in this passage also a, a, a threat to the people of Judah because actually not to trust God is a serious business. There, there's a little section there in verse 6 and following, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, they're going to be overwhelmed by the waters of Assyria. This is Jerusalem, God's people, and they've so rejected trusting in God. The, the, the way that God puts it here is that they've rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. This was a stream that came into Jerusalem that was there to refresh the people, to provide water, clean water for them. And God uses that image and said, you've rejected that stream, that source of water. And instead, you've turned for safety to Israel and to Syria and to the Assyrians. 
if you've abandoned me, if you're no longer trusting me, then actually the mighty floodwaters of Assyria are going to flow over you too. Don't be complacent in thinking that because we're God's people that we're going to we're kind of scot-free. We, it doesn't matter if we don't trust them anymore. There's a threat. But also it's really important that we, we, we see here that in all this, this worry and stress, all of what we've read should make us thankful people. Remembering what we've been given. Remembering the covenant promises that we sang about. Remembering that the Almighty God is God with us. It gives us a, a, an attitude, a position, a posture of, of gratefulness that addresses the, the worry and the stress that is there. It doesn't solve it, but it addresses it. It gives us a different perspective on it. Uh, I was reading recently that book by Cormac McCarthy called No Country for Old Men. Uh, I wouldn't advise you watching the film of it unless you've got a strong constitution but uh, and you're over 18 but no country for old men it's a fascinating book and and one of the characters in it says says this people complain about the bad things that happen to them that they don't deserve but they seldom mention the good about what they done to deserve them them things I don't recall that I ever gave the, the good Lord all that much cause to smile on me, but he did. We become thankful people and become generous people. How does God exercise his protection and his provision? He does it through his people. Just like that friend I described who lost his job and his wife and his child was unwell and he lost all his income. He would find envelopes coming through his door with money in them that managed to, to make him enable him to survive. Because how God exercises that protection is through his people. Galatians 6 8 carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Acts 4.34, there was no needy person among them. Sorry, we'll just go back there. That's a terrific thing, isn't it? That in the early church, there wasn't a person amongst the community of God's people who was in need. And so, what a friend we have in Jesus, yes, but what a friend we also have in the fellowship of God's people. The provision that he makes through the people who recognize the generosity of God and want to show that generosity to others. We better, uh, we better stop there, I think. It's all about gaining a, a different perspective, isn't it? Having a different perception of what life is about. It's all about recognizing that there is there is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a God who is almighty. And that as we put things into his hands, it doesn't mean that our worries just disappear like that. But it's drawing on his, the grace that he gives us, the strength that he gives us. To be strong and know peace, even in the midst 
the worst of situations. Let me pray. Father, we give ourselves up into your hands. You are the Almighty One, the Holy One. You are the one alone who controls this this universe in all its confusion for us, in all the chaos that's around us. We believe, we trust that you are a good, good Father who will accomplish your own purpose to bring a new heaven and a new earth, which is the home of righteousness. We trust you and give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.